Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. So happy 4th of July. We're glad you guys have gathered with us. I think a lot of folks have kicked off their celebration this morning a little early. Some are running. I know there's a lot going on in the community, but thank you for gathering with us, and thank you for those that are gathering with us online. Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. We're kind of, that's what we do at Bergen Park. We try to walk through books of the Bible. Our goal as a church is to be with Jesus, to become like him, and then simply to do what Jesus did. That's what a disciple is. And so today, the beauty of what we get to look at is how the ministry of Jesus, it starts with Jesus and we get to experience it. That before we can love others, we first have to be loved. Before we can show compassion, we have to experience God's compassion. Before we can forgive others, we have to be forgiven. It starts with the experience of knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, being with Jesus. And the beauty is, and this is what's always amazing, is he uses us to bring this precious message into the world. That God calls us out of darkness into light, out of brokenness into wholeness, and then he sends us out in the fullness of his spirit to bring to the world the very thing that he has given to us. And see, at the end of chapter nine, and I was really convicted last week by my own message just by simply walking through this passage that when Jesus looked at the crowds, he didn't see problems, he saw opportunities because his heart was filled with compassion. When I look at crowds, I see problems. I see delays to my schedule. I see lack of resources. When Jesus saw the crowd, he saw people who were oppressed by sin, oppressed by sickness, oppressed by demonic powers, people who were living under the oppression of lies. See, Jesus saw sin as more than something just simply we do. He also saw sin as something that has us enslaved. And he knew that to set the captive free, it starts with compassion. Now, did Jesus get angry? Yeah, he got angry often at the religious guys. The only people he called whitewashed tombs, he called you snakes, you brood of vipers. I mean, that's as close as Jesus gets to cussing in the New Testament. It's kind of close. But he has that kind of language for those that are in their own self-righteousness and misrepresenting God. But Jesus' fundamental approach to the world is a view of compassion. For God so loved the world. And the world world is God's rebellious creation, his creation that mocked him, that crucified him, that rejected him. God so loved the broken creation that he was willing to enter into it. Then when he saw suffering, compassion moved him to heal. And the beauty of the story of the gospel of Matthew is in chapters one through nine, Jesus is kind of center stage. He's getting it done. And in chapter 10, he says, church, it's your turn. And what I've done for you, this is all I ask, that you would do for others. Now, I don't know if you realize that Jesus has done a lot for us. (laughs) That's a huge ask. And the compassion he's given us is the compassion he wants us to share with others. So what's gonna happen is in chapters one through nine, Jesus teaches with authority. He lives with authority. We see how God's authority shows up in the lives of people who feel lonely and broken, who feel cast out. And then he says in chapter, uh, at the end of chapter nine, guys, I want you to pray. I want you to pray because the world is filled with hurting people. And when Jesus sees hurting people, you know what he sees? He calls it a harvest. 
there is an opportunity because these people are like sheep without a shepherd and see, they are helpless and wandering and I wanna use you with all your brokenness and your weaknesses, all your doubts and all your failures, I wanna fill you with my spirit and send you out in the same authority that I went out into the world. That's what we're gonna look at in chapter 10. Now, I gotta give you a little caveat about chapter 10. Chapter 10's a mess. It's, it's a mess. And what I mean by a mess is what he's saying is Jesus is talking to his disciples, guys. He's like, listen, I'm glad you're my disciple, but I'm about to send you out and it's about to get tough. It's about to get real. And so sometimes when people preach this passage, they'll say things like, you know, if you're really following Christ, all these things should happen to you. And let me kind of say, I don't think that's true. Some of the things in Matthew chapter 10 are unique to the disciples. Now, throughout history, there are people who have been brought before magistrates and judges. There are people who have been martyred, and certainly that is a part of the church and an important witness of the church. But just following Jesus, everything in chapter 10 isn't necessarily gonna happen to us, but there are principles in how we engage a world that finds our gospel and our God offensive. There are principles that are here that he's teaching us about how do we engage in this cultural moment. I mean, what does it look like to bring a gospel that, if I can be honest, it's offensive. And it's offensive to me. Even as a pastor, there are things about the gospel I have to really wrestle with, I have to get into, because my God is saying, Jason, I want you to obey, I want you to submit, I want you to bow your knee. And sometimes I've got my own objections about the way that I want to live my life. The gospel's offensive, and if you've never felt the offense of the gospel, you may not be really hearing the gospel. So you're gonna take an offensive message, but I want you to live an attractive life. Have you felt this struggle, that balance, between holding out truth and yet living in a way that is attractive, that allows the truth of God's character and his beauty to flow through us? That's what chapter 10's about. What does it look like to be a community of compassion? Because see, the compassion that Jesus has in chapter nine, it's transferred to the disciples in chapter 10. But then what we get to do is to see how does that compassion work? What do we need for compassion to be our mode of operating in a world that will reject us? What does that look like? How do we keep it centered? So let's jump into the passage. We're gonna pick up the first 15 verses. Next week, we'll kind of finish out chapter 10. But we start off with this community of compassion. Chapter 10, verse one. The word of the Lord. And so he, meaning Jesus, called to him his 12 disciples. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every disease and affliction. And the name of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Tom, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And these 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but first go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But as you go, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, You received without paying, and so give generously without pay. Acquire no silver or gold or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. 
And whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, well, let your peace come upon that house. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that house or that town. Truly, I say to you, be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God. Father, would you teach us and meet us here wherever we are in our walk with you, whether we have questions and we're kind of on the outside, we feel like we're looking in, but we're interested enough. Or Father, whether we have followed you for years and years, the gospel, it can't be contained by culture. It can't be contained by a decade or a century or a moment. It can't be contained within this church. Father, the gospel and the truth of who you are, it's outside of the bounds of, of where sometimes, Father, we try to restrict you to be. And so would you break those bounds in Jesus' name, Father? Would you allow the spirit to heal and show us what it looks like to experience life in the kingdom and life with you? Father, meet us here, we'd ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, real quick, uh, I just, just remembered, there is a women's study that's kicking off, and I was supposed to share this, so this is given, give me a little grace, the Spirit remind me. It, it, there's two more groups that are starting off. Uh, women, if you're interested in kind of getting connected in community, if you go to the Connect Center, which is to the right-hand side when you head out, opportunity to sign up, look at that information, and that's the commercial for today. So how do we, how do we live as this community of compassion? Well, here's... As I'm looking at this passage, there's three things that kind of stand out. Pastors always have three, so I got three. The first is a community of compassion requires community. You can't do it alone. It is impossible to live a life of compassion without a sense, a deep reality and intimacy of community. And then second, compassion moves us out into, world, into the world to labor for acceptance and let me explain what that means. We labor for acceptance, not, not our acceptance. But see, we serve in a way that puts the gospel at the center of all things. So if people are gonna reject us, they're gonna reject us because of the gospel. Not because we're jerks or inconsiderate. And now sometimes that's gonna happen and we need to just apologize and that's okay. But we labor in such a way that we want people desperately to trust Jesus. And then I forgot the final one. It's, well, it's right here. I can just, I can cheat. I know it perfectly well, yes. <laughs> Compassion prepares us for rejection. One of the realities as Christians we have to accept is the gospel is offensive. It's offensive to us and it's offensive if you've ever shared the gospel, the gospel is offensive. And if we're going to share a message that is offensive, we have to live a life that's attractive. And that's where this compassion comes in. So compassion leads to community. Compassion engages in the world in such a way that it allows Jesus to be central. And then you need the compassion of God because the reality is we will be rejected. So let's kind of walk through it. So look first of all at verses one and two and you see this, this community that's being formed. That Jesus called to himself, verse one, the 12. And then the very authority that we see Jesus walking in in chapters one through nine is the very authority that he says, hey guys, listen, my authority is gonna fall on you. And how does that authority show up? 
by meeting needs. Unclean spirits, cast them out, heal diseases, every affliction. And then he gives us the names of these apostles. Simon, do you notice, and notice the and, it says Simon and. It's not like just 12 in a row, right? And we're gonna discover that's pretty significant. And then you get down in chapter three, I mean, verse three, you got Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas. Unfortunately, he gets Matthew, sorry, Thomas. And notice Matthew, the author of this gospel, he reminds you of his own history. He's not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. That's my past. It's not my present. It's not my future. It's not my identity. And then it goes on, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and then, unfortunately, Simon the Zealot gets Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is a unique gathering of people who, on the outside of things, would never get along. I mean, if I'm gonna start with a leadership team, this is probably not gonna be my selection choice. That Jesus gathers together people that only the gospel could hold together. That's good, because that's what the church is. The church is a community of people that are only united by faith in God, love for Jesus, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means be careful what you elevate above Jesus. Because whatever we elevate above Jesus, it often divides. And the church today is often known for a lot of things that divide because we have taken good things, and sometimes they're valuable things, but we've put them above the ultimate thing. And what we see in this passage is community begins with Jesus and it overflows to one another. That our primary reality is to be with Jesus. Now, there's a number of parallel passages. I don't know if you know this, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They have parallel stories, and so Matthew chapter 10 is parallel to Luke chapter 10, which is parallel to Mark chapter six. And one of the things um, that you discover is the first calling that Jesus has for his disciples is really for them to be alongside him. So in Mark chapter four, verse 14, here's how Mark captures this moment. It says, he appointed, he chose 12, whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him. What is a Christian? Somebody who is with Jesus. Jesus is the word became flesh. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled. The first call of a disciple is, are we building intimacy with Jesus? Do we want to be with him? And the evidence of being with him is he's gonna draw us in community with each other. Because you notice it said Simon and, and Andrew, and it had these pairs, right? Because see, what Mark tells us is that when Jesus sent out his disciples, they didn't go alone. The Christian life alone is called failure, You can't be victorious in the Christian life simply alone. You've gotta have people around you. And so when Jesus sent out his disciples, not only did they have a 12, and in Luke and and Matthew's gospel, there's some places where there's the 70 or the 72. That's kind of this gathering here. We have a wider gathering of people, and then there's a closer gathering of intimacy. And see, in that closer gathering of intimacy, that's truly where love has to show up. Now, we're supposed to love the world, but you know the evidence that Jesus came? Do you know the one place he said, this is, the, this is what I'm building it on? I think he was kind of foolish to do this, okay? But Jesus didn't ask me. But when he said, hey, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. I wish he would say, by the way that he loved us, or by the miracles, right? Or by the resurrection. But you know what he said? By this, all men will know you're my disciples if we love each other. Do you realize what's at stake in the church? If we don't care well for each other, the rest, why would the rest of the world believe in our gospel 
or believe in our God. You know, there's a book called The Bait of Satan. And the premise of the book is the bait of Satan is taking offense. And how many of us just, we gobble it down, right? I know why she did that. I know what you're doing. But see, what the Spirit does is you don't know. You don't know their motives. You don't know what's going on in their life. The unity of the church is essential to the mission of the gospel. See, intimacy with Christ means intimacy with each other. And that doesn't mean we won't hurt each other. It doesn't mean we won't fail. I've hurt plenty of people. It's what you do with the hurt. It's how you follow up that reflects that we are his. It's not about perfection. It's about commitment. And see, commitment sometimes fails, but commitment always come back, comes back to what's essential. So it's intimacy with Jesus and then intimacy with each other. Now, here's... The third aspect, and I love how it's described here because this challenges me. It's community with the unbelieving world. We are not to separate. We're to separate from the world and its values, but not to separate from the people. And so in verse six, this is Jesus' strategy. First, he says, go to the lost sheep of Israel because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And then in verse 11, he said, this is what it looks like. This is my strategy. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy. And worthy just means those that will receive you. Those that will welcome you in and stay there. So live in their house until you depart. So when you go to a new town and you're gonna proclaim a gospel that's a little offensive, I want you to live with the people you're sharing the message with. I don't know if you heard that. I want you to live in the homes of the people you're offending. Because see, when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying there's no other. Paul, in his day, they said Caesar is Lord. You bowed the knee to Caesar. And so he took that phrase out of that cultural context. He said, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. I'm not gonna bow to anything else. But he's also Savior. And the challenge in our world is, our world is constantly bringing up new saviors. And all of us do that. Money can be a savior, success can be a savior, my health, my kids, their success. And Jesus is saying, guys, listen, none of them can save you. None of them can save you, because see, none of them can give you what I can give you. What Jesus gives us is his righteousness. And the only thing that keeps us from that is our own self-righteousness, to say, I don't want it. And so what he's saying is when you're living with somebody you're sharing the gospel with, that means nothing's hidden. You know, it's easy to set up a tent and go to a town and do a two-hour evangelism meeting, and then we are getting out of here because I don't want to deal with the fallout, right? Isn't that what we do? Let's go to Mexico and share the gospel there. I mean, let's go to South Africa. We do missions, and we go to different places because, see, we can get in and we can get out. We don't have to live with them. You know what happens when you live with somebody that disagrees with you? It's called compassion. Why don't we have compassion? Because we don't have relationships. We don't have relationships. And if you look at verses one and two, you're gonna see something that's happening. In verse one, he calls us disciples. You notice that? He called us disciples. What's a disciple? It's a learner. I think the best word is an apprentice. A disciple is someone that comes along Jesus to learn from the teaching of Jesus, but also from the lifestyle. It's not just head knowledge. How do you live this out? The message of the gospel follows a lifestyle of the gospel. And so a disciple is somebody who comes alongside that learns. But then in chapter, and chapter, in verse two, it's not the word disciple anymore. Do you notice that? It's the word apostle. An apostle is a formal title, but it also simply means the one sent out. 
The evidence of being with Jesus is being sent out by Jesus. The evidence that we're becoming like Jesus is we should have within us this conviction that the Christian life's not about myself. It's about others. It's about the crowds. It's about those who are sheep without a shepherd. That requires compassion. And Jesus is saying, I want you to so build relationships with others that when you share the gospel, your life is just as important as the words you speak. That's a different level. So let me start to ask you, where are your relationships of compassion breaking down? Intimacy with Jesus, our first priority. Intimacy with each other, we've gotta share, we gotta practice, that's what church is about, it's about practicing compassion and getting it wrong sometimes and hurting each other. And then finally, we go into a community to both live and to proclaim this message that Jesus is Lord and Savior and he is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father but through me. It is offensive, but the church is attractive. So where is that breaking down for you? Is it cultivating intimacy with Jesus? You know, if you had somebody in your life that you were really impressed with and they friended you, now, I gotta go to sports metaphors because that's kind of, you know, my world. J.D. Martinez, you probably don't know J.D. Martinez, big Red Sox fan. He's a D.H. for the Red Sox. Or let's say Steph Curry, if you're a basketball fan. I don't know. Maybe a different kind of area. Tom Hanks, I don't know. Jennifer Gardner, whoever your, your idol crush is. If Jennifer Gardner was calling you every morning, you know, check, how are you doing today? You know, what's going on in your life? And sharing information about her life. Could you keep that quiet? Heading out with Jordan Spieth today, gonna hit the links. Gotta use as many as I can to touch it. <laughs> I couldn't keep that quiet. Because someone that I find valuable and makes a difference in my life I talk about. Now, there's a difference between Jordan Spieth and Jesus. I know that. People are not gonna get upset about Jordan, but they do get upset about Jesus. But the idea is when someone's truly making an impact, it's a natural reality to share it. And see, it's natural to grab people around you that love the same people. Red Sox fans hang out with Red Sox fans. Yankee fans are evil, and they're part of the evil empire. If you didn't know that, we can talk later. What is it? What you love creates community, and then you try to tell others about them. I tell you about the Red Sox. Why? The best team in the history of the MLB. I'm sorry, guys. And I know what happened to the Rockies, and I'm sorry, and I love you, and I have compassion, because you were helpless, and, and anyways. But you, you get it, don't you? Why do we lack compassion? Are we with Jesus? And does that produce a community of Jesus, and then do we live that community of Jesus with people who are far from Jesus? A compassion, a community of compassion starts with community. But then, then second, it labors for acceptance, that we labor in such a way that people wouldn't just like us, but would trust, would trust Jesus. I kind of lost my spot. Just think amongst yourselves, right? You can pray for me right now. That I kind of okay, okay. Here it is. I found it. And so, what does that look like? Let's jump back into the passage, verse five. And then he sent. Jesus sent these 12 out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles. Enter no town of the Samaritans, but go first to the lost sheep of Israel. Now what he's talking about is God's redemptive plan. God has chosen to use 
the Jewish people, the Israelites, in his redemptive story to send them out into the world as salt and light. And so Jesus is the Messiah, so he comes to the Jew first. But then if you look down at verse 18, even though we didn't read that, there's also a reality that they're gonna go to the Gentiles. They're gonna go to the entire world. That Abraham, when he was called, remember that story, Abraham? Abraham, it's not enough for you to just simply know me. You're blessed to be a blessing. And so what does that mean? I'm gonna ask you to move and go live in another community in another town where people do not know you. I'm gonna send you out. That's how God, in his redemptive story, he takes people from their comfort zone, he fills them with his compassion and new community, and then he sends us out. So how do we do that? So let's practically talk about what does compassion look like? Compassion speaks. So verse seven, he says, proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now if the kingdom is at hand, there's a king, and Jesus is that king, And see, when Jesus is a king and he's setting up a kingdom, he's gathering a people. And when he's setting up a kingdom and he's a king and he's gathering a people, he's giving us his values to live by. And then he's gonna send us out with the message of the kingdom. That's what Christianity's about. It's about God coming into this world that's rejected him, and yet he loved the world so much he sent his son to restore and redeem the world. Through this king, Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again so that he may raise up a a community of people who live by his kingdom values. And we proclaim the gospel, and the gospel is easiest summary, Jesus is Lord. I think it's the easiest summary of the gospel. And as Lord, Jesus didn't ride in on a war horse. You know that? He rode in on a donkey. And when he got to the center of Jerusalem, he didn't go up to a throne. He was coronated. And that's what he was, when the crown of thorns, that's a coronation service on the cross. That his power and authority was revealed through self-sacrifice and weakness. That through his weakness, we were set free from the power of sin and the spirit comes and dwells within us and makes us new. We have to proclaim the message, but verse eight, we also have to meet the needs of the people. And proclaiming a message without meeting needs is missing the fullness of the way that Jesus has sent us out. So he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. So let me stop, because when I see raise the dead, I say, what? <laughs> I don't know if you, you may not say what, but I do. Now you see in the story of the gospels that wherever Jesus shows up, the presence of God is healing things. And so everyone that comes to Jesus immediately kind of gets healed. And there's a lot of things that happen. There's something unique about when Jesus shows up. It doesn't always happen the same way today. Doesn't mean that God doesn't heal. It doesn't mean that God doesn't deliver. It means that where the presence of God is, that's heaven. You know when heaven shows up, all that stuff's gonna be put away? All the brokenness in life, all the broken relationships? And here's another thing that's important about Jesus. When he saw somebody, like in chapter nine, there's this guy that was mute. He knew, because he's Jesus, that it was demonic. I don't know that. Often we don't know what is behind, why somebody is suffering, and it's complex. Jesus could see what we could not see. And so when we go out to the world, we have to go out into the world listening to the Spirit and meeting the needs of the people around us, which means if we wanna reach someone, we gotta pray, Father, would you show us the need? And I don't know if you realize that the miracles that Jesus did often were for non-believers. More so than for just the church. Doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't heal here for his glory, but the reality is, to allow that message which is authoritative to be seen and heard, he did miracles. And often when you go out and you share the gospel, that's when miracles happen. 
That's where we need to pray that God would touch somebody and heal somebody. Because see, that's faith. And when you stand before the unbelieving world, standing firmly in Jesus and trusting that he can do this, God does things more than we could ever imagine. But the reality is, often we won't trust him to that limit. So we're supposed to proclaim, but then realize we're supposed to meet needs. The message has to go along with a lifestyle. And then we're supposed to go out with a certain mentality. Verses nine and 10 means we're supposed to move out as servants. So he says, don't acquire gold, meaning from other people. Don't acquire silver or copper because that's what people did in the ancient times. These teachers went around and they made money. He said, don't take money from the people you're serving. And then he also said in verse 10, take no bag. Now, the idea of what he's saying is, I want you to be dependent on me. I want you to trust me that as you go out to the world, I want people to see that you're leaning your weight on me and not on what you have or how gifted you are. I want the world to see that you truly trust me. And then verse 11, in whatever town and village you enter into, whoever is worthy in it, stay there. Luke's gospel says, find a man or a woman of peace. Church, that's something we should be praying for. In our neighborhoods, in our communities, Father, would you raise up somebody who is a man or a woman of peace? What does that mean? They're hospitable to the gospel. They may not even receive Christ but they're open to your presence and they allow you through that relationship to open up to all the relationships that they have. This is what it looks like for us to be a community of compassion. And then verse 12, and then when you enter the house, greet it. And if that house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Notice peace goes with the disciple because the disciple lives in peace. And so when he's saying peace leaves with you, it's not condemning the person you're leaving. It's just saying that when it's time to go, you take that peace with you to another place. What we see in this story is a picture of how we're both supposed to proclaim the truth and to live the truth. Proclaiming the truth isn't enough because if we proclaim the truth, often what happens is we can proclaim the truth in arrogance, which means it's not the truth. Now, it's truth, but it's not the truth. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Isn't it about our attitude and motivation? Do not commit adultery, but if you have adultery in your heart, do not murder, but if you have murder in your heart, keep your oath, but if you break your oath. It's about the motivation. What does God care about? You know, he cares about what you love. Because see, what you love will change what you do. And when we go out into the world, we have to speak the truth with compassion the truth with love. And we are to move out as servants. And then I kind of skipped it. Maybe you noticed at the end of verse eight, and it's kind of strange in the ESV, but it says this at the end of verse eight, you receive without paying, give without pay. Now, what does that mean? NIV says, as you've been freely given, what should we do? Freely give. If you're a Christian, what have you been given? And was it free? Forgive as you have been forgiven. To the degree you've been forgiven, you should forgive. Love as you have been loved. Serve as you have been served. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And give my life as a ransom for men. Do you realize that that verse should shake you a little bit? Because he's saying, what you've seen me do for you, I want you to do for others. I want you to proclaim the truth. 
but I also want you to live the truth. And then if they don't accept it, you do need to knock the dust off. Now let me explain that, because see, some people get caught up in that. And I hear a lot of pastors kind of live in those two verses right there, and I, and I think they miss the entire message. To knock the dust of your feet for a rabbi or for a religious leader was judgment. It was saying this community is unclean. Is that what Jesus is saying? I mean, how did he see the crowds? With compassion. When he saw the needs of others, he moved out with love. Does this mean that we're supposed to condemn people when they don't receive the gospel? No, of course not, it's foolish. What it does mean is we move with compassion, but we don't compromise the message. We tell people what the consequences are. But we do that in love, not, not of hatred or, or self-righteousness, not because somehow I'm superior, because the only reason I'm saved, I'm, maybe you guys are different, is because Jesus died. That's how this guy got into heaven. And if that's the entrance to heaven, I can't be, I can't be arrogant but toward, toward any other human being because my salvation is based in Jesus' death. And his resurrection is my courage. And so when we move out into the world, we don't move out in judgment. So what about this story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you see that verse? You're kind of like, what does that mean? Sodom and Gomorrah got some salt and some fire, and that was, that was a bad day. And he says it's more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember that? Than, than this town. Well, see, Sodom and Gomorrah didn't hear the gospel. They didn't see the gospel. They didn't experience the gospel is what he's saying. Which means to the degree you have received something, you're responsible for it. He's saying Sodom and Gomorrah had so much information of who God is, but they didn't see the gospel. They didn't hear the gospel. When these towns heard and received the gospel, God will hold them accountable for what they've heard. But we need to kind of turn that sometimes. I don't know so much he's just looking out in the world, because I don't know if you realize this, every time Jesus tells a parable about judgment, he says, it's my responsibility. Guys, when you catch fish, just catch some fish. Don't say this fish is rotten and this fish is good and this fish, just catch the fish and bring them in. When you go out and you gather the harvest, what did he tell you to do? Separate the weeds, burn those guys? No, he said, just bring them all in together. Be generous. You don't know who God's gonna save and who God's not gonna save. You don't know who in this community God is working in and drawing towards. Your job is to go out and be generous. My job is to be the judge of the world. Leave it to me. Your job is to be compassionate. And so compassion not only moves us out into the world to lead people to acceptance, it moves us to be rejected. Compassion prepares us that the world will reject us. And Christians, we have to accept that. That's one of the things we have to kind of get over, in a sense. This world will not accept. It's not, the gospel is something that is offensive. We have to recognize as we go out with this message, people will be offended. But let them not be offended by us. Because when he says that it's gonna be worse for Sodom and Gomorrah, we have to turn that around because Jesus also said to those who have been given much, much is required. Where is God's eyes on? Our eyes are on the world. They're messing it up. They're a mess. Jesus, go get them. No. My eyes are on you. How much compassion have I given you? How much forgiveness have I given you? To those who have been given much, Jason, much is accept, accepted. You know the scariest verse of all? James 3.1. I hate James 3.1. Fends me every time. Listen, you who teach. You who get up in front of others and claim to represent God. You will be judged more strictly. Jason, you've seen more. You've tasted more. I expect more of you. 
how much it, does it grieve the heart of God? Not that the world is the world, because the world's, the world's doing what Scripture says the world would do. They're blind. I mean, and not blind in a, in, in a condemning sense, but I claim to see. I claim to have life. How dare I not bring that light and life to a world that Jesus loves, but I'm refusing to speak to because they vote different than me or they value something different than me. What are you elevating above the gospel? Do you see that? You know, as we celebrate 4th of July, I love and prefer my country. I don't wanna live in any other country. My relatives have been here since 1650. Can you beat that? 16, anybody? Okay, we got one. We got one taker. So you're more American than I am. We got another one over here. Okay, so that, you guys beat me. But my relatives have died in every single war, just about. Just about. And so I love my country, but my country is not my identity. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm, I'm a son of the king. And often what happens, I don't know if you realize, you know why the gospel is offensive? Because it doesn't fit in culture. Neither can Christianity. American Christianity is not Christianity. Christianity is Kenyan Christianity and France, French, French, not France, Christianity. In Ethiopian, it's, it's global, right? And see, the values of our king, they offend us in different ways. And sometimes what happens is we get into a Christian culture, but we stop representing Christ. Because see, what, when you represent Christ, he's gonna start speaking to you about things that are really important to you, but they're not what's most important to him. And what causes the church to go wrong is we start taking even good things, like our own country, we start elevating them above the gospel, and we make them the reason why we show compassion or why we reach out to somebody. Do you understand that? And what's happened in the church today is because of our own fear, we start raising things up much higher than Christ, and guess what? We are enslaved to that which fears us. Fear the Lord. That is the beginning of wisdom. Love drives out fear. Church, don't be driven by fear. That's the stuff of news broadcasts. That's the stuff of politicians. It doesn't mean there aren't things worrisome in our world that we need to be aware of. But when we are driven by that, you're not gonna be driven by this one thing. Ready for this? It's called compassion. Fear and compassion, they don't mix. What is your Lord? What is your Lord? And church, as we go out to a world that's going to disagree with us, unless we have that intimacy with Jesus and each other and we see people differently than the, simply through the lenses of what we think is most important, we're not going to be that salt and light to bring that truth and that life to the world. And so to do it, as we close today and celebrate communion, we need Jesus. The bottom line of this is, are we dependent upon him? Because we're gonna disagree on different issues, but are we truly resting in who he is and allowing him, church, listen, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, he got some new stuff to teach you. He's got some new areas of your life he wants to open up. Are you willing to surrender to him? You know, as we celebrate communion, we're kind of transitioning. We used to celebrate communion by dipping, you remember that, dipping the bread into the cup, and it's called intention, beautiful. But many people are concerned about germs today, so we're gonna do it a little bit different now. I'm not concerned, you're concerned. You're, oh, no. And so as... Seriously, as we celebrate communion together, what we're gonna ask you to do is would you come forward and, and would you take the elements and then would you just kind of sit back down? There's two areas in the back and there's two areas in the front and as Randy plays, uh, would you just prepare your heart? Allow the Lord to search your heart to know you 
And then together, once we've all sat down, we'll receive the elements together. So let's celebrate what God has done for us together. Let's celebrate.